You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We are going to jump back into our series on Matthew. And I will do my best to speak towards this mic so you can hear me. Uh, But we're making our way through Matthew. And let me just say, like, today hurts my soul a little bit. Because we're at my favorite part of the Bible. Which shouldn't hurt my soul. It it hurts my soul because of this. I've already preached on my favorite part of the Bible. Done a whole series on it. And I don't want to, like, rehash it all over again. Even though most of you haven't been here for seven years. and still, I, I don't want to. When, when we're preaching so much on the Gospels, I try to find the new stories. Uh, many of the Gospels tell the same stories, but some of them add in new ones or tell them in a different light. So what we're going to do is now that we're at Matthew 5, which starts the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached uh, by Jesus himself, uh, we're going to just hone in on a few things I haven't spent a lot of time on over the years, and then we'll make our way out of the Sermon on the Mount back into uh, uh, the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. But today we're in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Uh, it's a popular passage. There's a whole album called City on a Hill. Uh, so maybe you already know what we're talking about just in that phrase. Uh, but we're going to take a, a deeper look at it today. It's short and sweet. It says this. This is Jesus preaching to a bunch of people sitting on a hill, right? Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling all these people all kinds of great, great teachings. And this is one of them. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to stop real quick and look at that very first line because a lot of times we miss what's being said right here. Jesus says, as he's talking to a bunch of people in front of him sitting on, a, on this hill, he tells these people, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world. Uh, granted, other passages do. So, of course, Jesus is the light of the world. And we sing songs about it, right? Light of the world, you step down into darkness. But right here, specifically, Jesus is not talking about himself. He's talking to his followers the people who have come to listen to him preach, the people who are, are seeking after the kingdom of God, he's talking to them and he says, you guys are the light of the world. And now that, that makes sense to a supernatural level, okay? Because uh, the Holy Spirit is inside of Christians, the Bible tells us. And the Holy Spirit is also called throughout the Bible uh, the Spirit of Jesus. It's synonymously the same thing. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He lives inside of you. So if Jesus is the light of the world and he's inside of you, then it makes sense that Jesus would come up to his followers and say, you are the light of the world. There's this understanding that the world is this dark place on a supernatural level. It's this, this place overcome with evil. It's a place that As we saw earlier in Matthew, Satan seems to claim and own in some way, saying he has the the power and the authority over the kingdoms of the world and that he could give it to Jesus. So we recognize that the world as we know it is kind of like this, this dark place, but Jesus starts to look at us 
And he starts to tell us, but in this darkness, in this place that's overcome with evil, because you are followers of me and because you have my spirit in you, you are lights in a dark world. And that that right there should give us pause. We should recognize that as Christians, there should be something different about us, right? There should be something attractive about us, something that kind of calls out in the dark because darkness doesn't get a beat out light. Darkness is overcome by light. And if Christians are doing their job, then as uh, uh, one of my favorite scholars says, like if we were to look at the world from like a supernatural level, you might see just a whole world of dark. But then these Christians gathering throughout it are starting to light up little areas of the planet. If we were to see where we are right now from like a, a supernatural standpoint, you might see 1208 Greenwood Avenue just lit up with light as we come together and gather in in this one place and other churches across Jackson and Christians in their home, you you see light. Now, understand I'm talking kind of metaphorically here. I'm not necessarily saying like you're full of light. That's actually a different kind of teaching. Uh, But I am trying to give you this supernatural context that, that Jesus seems to be putting in our minds here, this metaphor of you guys are light in the darkness. And light, light's a powerful thing. It's like a city on a hill. You can't miss it. You ever seen a city on a hill before? If you did, you would know that you can't miss it. Because right? it's up high. It gets your attention. Uh, when I spent uh, a mission trip in Greece, you would find hills built. Built. You would find cities or uh, uh, military bases built on top of hills. Because you know, like, you can see everything from up there. Nobody can really break into your place all that easily because you look down, it's like, oh, well, there's Joe just trying to make his way up here again, right? Like, everything is, is in your sight. So cities on hills would have maybe been more common in, in Jesus' time. But you can't miss it. It's elevated. It catches your attention. It's up there. And now we mix maybe the metaphor of light and the metaphor of a city on a hill together, and you really catch something that's illuminating the darkness, something that catches your attention like a a torch high up in the sky. It begins to bring people out of the darkness. That's a... uh, I I lived for a little bit in the country. I know, crazy. Um, But in the city... You can't, like, see much outside of where you're at, you know? Like, it's got to be crystal clear outside for me to see stars, right? Because streetlights get in the way and all these things. But when you live in the country, sometimes if you go outside at night, you'll, you'll look off in the distance and really, really far away, you'll see like this orange glow. And you'll know like the sun's gone. <laughs> it's not the sun. It's not the moon. And it seems to be coming almost out of uh, the earth. What, what is this light off in the distance? And once you start to look at a map, you're like, oh, well, that's another town. It's miles away, but I can see it from here. That right there, I think, is a beautiful picture of, of what Christians should be like, that we're lighting up so much that in a world of darkness, they might see a soft glow and like a bug to a flame be attracted to it. They want to figure out what that is. You're a light on a hill. You are a light. You're a city on a hill. And here's what's interesting in, in Jesus' passage. Uh, at the end here, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Three things. 
Let your light shine before others, almost seemingly implying within this metaphor that though you are the light of the world, sometimes maybe you don't let that light shine very brightly. Sometimes you might be dimmer than others. Sometimes maybe you even can turn it off where it's very, very dim. Secondly, it seems like the way in which you make that light shine, as Jesus says, so that they may see your good works. Do you want the world to see you shining? Then let them see your good works. And thirdly, when they see your good works, then they'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This right here is just very interesting to me. Like Jesus understood, if you want to shine like crazy, if you want to gather the world in, if you want them to see that God is real and come before you, then you have got to do good works. And already in your head, some of you are trying to feel, well, I'm saved by faith, not by good works. Don't even bring that into the conversation, okay? We're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about the fact that Christians are called to do good things, to get involved in the places in which they are, to, to impact it in kingdom of heaven type ways. Not necessarily go and like build a specifically Christian thing all the time, but sometimes just invade society in the ways that you are already there. Show them light by doing good works in the ways that you're already there. Do good works to the Christians around you. Do good works to those who aren't Christians around you so that when they see it, They may glorify God so that when they see that these Christians in the image of God, that they care about good things, they might suddenly be like, ah, God is real. He's got to be real because I haven't seen people who care about this kind of stuff the way that these Christians do. This is outreach evangelism. And it's kind of weird. You know, I always thought like if, if I was going to bring someone to Christ, the way that I was probably going to do it was to convince them on a theological or educational level that that God is real. And yet here we have Jesus saying, like, convince them that God is real by doing good things. Because that's part of what makes you the image of God. Because that's what God does. He does good things for us. He makes it rain not just on those who do good things, but he makes it rain on those who do bad things. He is gracious to everyone, the Bible says. We... uh, We've looked at this uh, idea of doing church before, and it's a biblical idea of what the church is here to do. We're A, to have communion with God, B, to have community with each other, and C, to go on mission with each other. So when we practice these three things together, the kingdom of heaven becomes tangible. And, and I always thought it was weird that like mission might be a way that, that you bring people <laughs> into faith. But I had had this pastor just constantly telling me, Jamin, these three circles, every single one of these circles has a way to draw people in. From a communion side, people will see your connection with God and they'll long for it. And that has the ability to bring people to Christ. From a community side, they'll see deep relationships among you and they'll long for that. And as they build deep relationships with you, then they'll come to Jesus as well. And from a commission side, When people see you doing good works, they're going to be like, I want to join in that project. I want to do the same thing. Why are the Christians the ones who get these? I I want to be a part of that. And as they enter in through that way, they'll start to see Jesus as they get involved in, in what you're doing and join you in that and see like we do this because God cares about these things. All throughout the Bible, time and time again, you see God saying, take care of the orphan, take care of the widow, take care of anyone who's oppressed, the homeless. Uh, he, he set up rules 
as to how people need to take care of it. That certain percentages of like your crops were supposed to just be left untouched in case homeless people needed to come and just take food. Uh, God kind of set up rules to create uh, a world that took care of everyone. And we've seen time and time again that gets that that dream gets squashed. But God has not given up on the idea. One day we will find that perfection in, in the end of Revelation. But for now, we're not done yet. God's still setting up rules to, to help us take care of one another. And one of the ways in which he wants to bring people in is that they might see us shine. They might say, those good works, I want a part of that. And they might worship God. See, God has always been wanting us to get involved where we're at. Okay? Uh, I, don't even label your life as secular and Christian. Okay? Don't think, well, I'm at church right now. It's a Christian thing. Tomorrow I go to my job. That's a secular thing. No. Understand, like, you are a Christian. You are light everywhere you go. So no matter where you're at, allow yourself to shine. And this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this because we take it out of context all the time. I'm about to give you the real context of this verse, okay? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you future and a hope. This verse exploded back in like 2000-something. And we were all like, yes, plans. God has plans for me. God has plans for my welfare and for my money and all this kind of stuff. And that's actually not what's going on here. Back up a few verses. Read the context. Here's what God tells them. Okay, just to give you even more background. Israel's done messed up, right? And God's like, okay, I'm kicking you out of your city. You're more evil than all the other places that I've already put my judgment on those places. How can I like just let you guys keep doing even more evil than everybody else when you're so much worse than the other places? So I'm sending you into exile. There's another kingdom called Babylon. They're going to conquer you, take over you, and you're going to live there instead of your, your city of Jerusalem where my presence was. So Ezekiel says God's presence leaves Jerusalem, and then Babylon takes them over. Now they're in exile. And while they're in exile, Jeremiah the prophet tells them how they need to live in Babylon. Now, this is Babylon. They don't like Babylon. Babylon's the bad guy. Babylon's the people who, who has taken them into slavery, okay? And yet, here's Jeremiah. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Fast forward a few verses. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's really weird because, you know, Israel's among their enemies, and yet here we see God saying, love your enemies. You are my people in a, a bad place. But while you are my people there, you seek to advance the welfare of those around you. Take care of the city. Do good in the city. And you can imagine people seeing these slaves that we've captured. They're doing good things for us. (laughs) They're seeking our welfare. Why, Why would they do this? And you can imagine people turning to God because of that. In fact, elsewhere in the Psalms, it talks about how 
God talks about how, hey, I've got people in all of these cities that you thought like they were just the pagans. I've actually got homies in all these cities. Okay, so it's not just you, Israel. I've got more people all around here. So uh, here you can see God pulling people out of Babylon. They're attracted to the good works of these Christians, bringing welfare to Christians, Israelites, bringing welfare to their city. And you can imagine them being attracted to that light like a moth to the flame. It's not a new idea to, to be light where you're at. Jeremiah 29.11 is a passage all about that. And I really feel that we need to shine brightly today more than ever before. Because there's this weird conundrum in the world today where, yes, some people are chasing after God and they don't know it. And they're chasing after good works that God wants them to do because... They're learning more about who God is and they're chasing after the image of God. But I'll also say this. There's another weird part of the world that thinks they're chasing after God, but they're actually chasing after a weird, twisted light of, of Satan. Yes. And you see this because uh, the Bible tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Okay, You have to understand, Genesis gives us this idea that not just humans are made in the image of God, but spiritual beings are made in the image of God. And just as humans can decide to turn against God, spiritual beings can decide to turn against God. And so, someone like Satan, as evil as he is, you have to understand, even Satan himself, like the peak bad guy, is still made in the image of God and still knows what God is looking for. And he knows how to twist things just enough to get us to to chase after the strange light. Yes. Satan doesn't just walk around like, you know, like a little guy with horns and a pitchfork. That usually screams out, I shouldn't trust that man, right? <laughs> but rather, he tries to masquerade. He, he does himself up so that you, you'll fall for the tricks. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. You know, actually, it'd be more like God if you ate from this tree. He's rationalizing on godly terms why they should do this thing. He does it with Jesus. You know, Satan reads the Bible, apparently. Satan keeps quoting the Bible to Jesus. You know, Jesus, you could do it this way because the Bible says this. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. The Bible also says this. Maybe you forgot. Okay, fair enough. Well, the Bible says this too, and you could do it this way. Uh-uh. The Bible also says this. <laughs> so you see Satan trying to use Scripture, this, this book full of light, full of God's words, taking it and twisting it. So, like, it's still... He's taking something made of light, but twisting it just enough that it becomes this kind of off-brand version of light. And a lot of the world right now, because Christians aren't always showing people what the light looks like, they're seeing the closest thing that they can to that light, which is Satan's light. And they're like, oh, maybe, they, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I can follow. And so we got to step it up. We got to be light wherever we're at. You don't necessarily have to make a Christian thing. And this is, this is something if we all were just light wherever we're at, we would start to see it take over more. I remember uh, when I was asked to kind of join some, uh, some boards around town that weren't Christian, they kept like telling me like, anytime we've had pastors come, they just don't stay. They visit and then they're gone. I'm like, okay, well... <laughs> You guys care about themes that pastors care about, that Christians care about, so I'll commit to you and I'll show you, like, we care about this. Yes, I'm showing the people that we're trying to affect that Christians care, but I'm also trying to show the people who 
who are following after godly things that we care as Christians too. And that's not just a pastoral thing. That's anything. That's any Christian can do this wherever you're at. Uh, But if we just get involved and we start to show people that we care about good things, good works, because Jesus cares about it, because God cares about it, then people won't be so convinced to follow a satanic off-brand version of that light in order to find what they think is the image of God. They want to fill that hole. I feel like I should be good to others. And if we don't show them the way there, they're going to take any alternate route that they can. The Bible shows us that when we truly do what Christians need to do, we become a utopia of sorts. We become something that is just unimaginable. So let's wrap up with Acts. Acts 2 is is kind of like the peak of the church. The way the church in Acts 2 is described, Christians ever since have been like, let's get back to that. Let's, let's go there. Let's become all of that right there. And here's how Acts describes the church immediately following Jesus' time on the earth. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Catch that last line? God's adding people to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And that line comes on the heels of a community of Christians doing good works. Aristides, uh, back in 135 AD, he was talking about, he expands on this, talks about more of the things that people were doing. Like a Christian at this time, if they found out someone was hungry around them and they didn't have food to give them, guess what they would do? They would fast. I guess I just won't eat today so that person can. There were Greek and Roman philosophers who, who described a kind of utopia of sorts that they hoped people would move into. I think it's possible that Acts 2 is the Christians saying, we found that utopia. Look at how we're living. Everything that the philosophers said would belong in in the utopia that would come one day, the Christians are a shining light of what that is. And they found it in the Holy Spirit. They found it in the teachings of Jesus. They they, They found it in following the one true God and following Yahweh. And so as people are seeing it, numbers are being added to them day by day. Not maybe just because there's crazy things happening, but because people have caught a vision of everything that humanity can be in this time, in this place, under false rulers and principalities and powers, both in a governmental and a uh, human realm and in a satanic and spiritual realm. These Christians are shining so bright amongst all this. People are just saying, this is it. Let's join this movement because this is the real thing. This is the thing that we've been looking for. Look at their works. They shine. And so that's the encouragement to you this morning as the band comes up. Shine wherever you're at, not just in church. 
Jesus did not just say, ah, go to church and shine for a bit and then go home and we'll see you next week. (laughs) No, shine everywhere you go. Be a light in the darkness for you are a light in this world. You are a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. And right now, if you struggle to see me because the lights in here are kind of dim, you would struggle to see me so much more if I put a basket over all the lights in here. Who would do that? That makes no sense. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody lights a flame. Nobody sets up a light and then just puts it under a basket. It's ridiculous. You literally miss the point of how a lamp works. But so often that's what we do. We think that we need to tame down Jesus where we go. We think that we need to uh, try to blend in where we're at. When Jesus is saying, look, you don't need a basket. If anything, you might not be shining as bright as you need to. Amp it up. Shine bright. Let them see your good works. And then they'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This week, we kind of have some chances to do that. As you'll recall, on Wednesday, we're going out to count the uh, homeless. Even if it is freezing cold out there, it's the one day of the year where uh, we are legally given the opportunity to do it. So unless you see announced on our Facebook page that we won't be doing it, we're going to be out and doing it. And I'll tell you, you guys, I I think you really kind of, you've made a good name for yourself in the community over these last few years. You just... uh, Certain movements throughout Jackson has gotten 12 away associated with it. And it's not that other churches aren't doing this, by all means. That's not what I'm saying. Um, uh, but because you're allowing to shine in this way, people are seeing not just 12 away Greenwood. They're seeing, like, you know, the people who care about Jesus, the people who are trying to follow God, we thought that they weren't connected with these movements, but now here they are getting involved in these things. And they're showing people who Jesus is. So I just keep encouraging you. Do that on the corporate level, but please do that in your life everywhere you go. I've heard the stories of people in their lives, just what they're doing and how they they really uh, take over. Um, watching people just walk up to people in this room and compliment them uh, for things that they're, they're doing in secular secular jobs and I'm like you know what's really happening right there is they've seen the light of Jesus they don't know how to articulate it but they've seen it keep shining keep showing that you'll win them over they'll see the reason why we care so join us in whatever efforts uh, we have together but may we join you in your own efforts from a day to day basis and uh, let's just uh, let's pray Jesus, you tell us to let our light shine bright, which kind of implies effort, especially because it gets lined up with good works. And it's often much easier, it seems, to just stay dim. But if you are the light of the world and you say we're the light of the world too, then we know that we have got a mission to uh, follow through with. We need to shine. So teach us how. A lot of people are not opposed to shining. They just don't know how to do it. So give them ideas. Holy Spirit, put in their mind things that they can do to start shining in every place that they're at. Maybe something simple, just like the, the crossing guard on uh, Morel 
outside of the Catholic school that's constantly waving at every single car. It doesn't matter how freezing it is. He stands in front of a church and he tells everyone good morning. Sometimes it may be that simple. Just speak to us and give us ideas. That we may shine before others. They might see your good works. Turn to God and praise him. In Jesus' name, amen.